your Monday evening. Uh, we'll have shows all throughout the week, Tuesday and Thursday. The DSR is 5.15 to 5.30. Friday, three hours of sports talk on Game of the Week, including volleyball on Friday night. Saturday, busy day, football in the afternoon, followed by volleyball and hockey at night as well. Sunday, we'll have the Michigan Exhibition hockey game against Windsor. That'll be on Sunday, also through UCaster. Check out, check out all the links on the blog. So for everyone in studio, I'm Jeremy Kreisberg saying so long and good night from Ann Arbor. You are listening to your home for Michigan Athletics, 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Locate us on the web at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot, save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six ends remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. The sports department would like to thank you for your continued support of the University of Michigan Student Radio. Moss knocks over Tambellini, winds up and he scores! Just Tambellini lets a laser go from the near side circle and the Wolverines take a 1-0 lead off the rocket, off the stick of Jeff Tambellini. Well, on cue, welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley, and my partner Jim Dwyer has uh, got school responsibilities tonight, so he won't be here, and we'll jo- probably see him next week. Uh, obviously an interesting sort of eventful week globally, lots of stuff to talk about. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much on Iran, but I'll just give out a Minamijada brain damage award for properly creating more nonsensical, uh, uh, more nonsensical nonsense about the uh, Holocaust uh, while appearing at the UN. Um, this, of course, plays to the crowd a little bit. It's interesting that on the 18th of May, the AP reported that over 40% of Israel's Arab citizens say the Holocaust never happened, according to a survey published Monday. But the University of Haifa sociologist who directed it, Sammy Shmuha, said that the results were most likely statements more of protest than of belief. The survey found that 41% the Holocaust never happened, up from 28% in 2006. Mr. Shmuha said, and he thinks that the increase signals a rising frustration amongst Arabs who say that they believe that recognizing the Holocaust just gives justification to Israel's policies. I just finished an interesting book. 
And of course, Aminabinejad is sort of playing to that, playing to the crowd, as they say. Um, and it's an unfortunate crowd at that. Um, obviously, some of Aminabinejad's comments are out of context, but today we get the missile. Uh, launches uh, more nonsense from the media regarding Iran's intentions and what it's really all about. I think that they're just sort of flexing muscle uh, like they frequently do uh, in uh, context of the fact that negotiations are coming up later this week about their nuclear program. Obviously at the G8, uh, or actually it's the G20 summit that occurred last week uh, in downtown Pittsburgh, Obama announced a uh, previously unrevealed nuclear facility somewhere near Qom in Iran. We've argued down here that the Iranian nuclear program is a long way from being operational. Uh, the distinction, of course, is uh, in the fact that the media doesn't report this enough. To make a nuclear weapon, you need highly enriched uranium, not just uranium uh, uh, technology equipment that gives you enriched uranium. You have to purify it to in very uh, pure form, and uh, the Iranian government is a long way off from such an event. So the question is, are we still going to see IAEA inspections? How cooperative are they going to be? Is there now regional uh, belief and, and uh, sort of uni unity on the issue of uh, sanctions against Iran, we shall see. I think it's uh, an error by the American media, though, to somehow indicate that just because Iran has uh, tested missiles that can reach Europe and or Israel, that they're about to fire such missiles. Uh, we've argued down here that Iran is mainly interested in trade. This is a uh, regime because of the tainted elections that recently occurred back in June. That's in trouble at home. Uh, there are still street protests occurring, and uh, there has been a sort of uh, consolidation of power, I would argue, by the sort of far-right elements uh, within the Iranian government. But uh, this seems to be at odds with the uh, spirit on the streets. And uh, sanctions at this time uh, could actually be counterproductive. So we will see what happens uh, in, in the upcoming week uh, regarding these negotiations and what uh, holds forth in the future. I think that uh, the sorry um, history of America and Russian involvement in uh, Iranian domestic politics is uh, extensive. Just finished a book this week by Rashid Khalidi, uh, Sowing the Crisis, the Cold War, and the American Dominance in the Middle East. An interesting analysis of uh, really how the United States has made a mess of the Middle East since uh, the end of the Second World War. And it's important to remember, by the way, that the British and uh, Russian governments invaded Iran during the Second World War to gain control of the oil facilities, to deny their uh, oil facilities to the German government. Uh, the Shah's father was in charge of Iran at the time as the monarch. Uh, he was a open anti-Semite and a supporter, uh, rather uh, vicariously of Hitler, though um, 
was not in any way, shape, or form allied with them. But uh, much of the strategy involved in the uh, fighting in World War II, of course, revolves around oil. This is always important to remember. The United States, of course, supplied Japan with most of its oil before World War II, and, of course, the cutoff of oil uh, led directly to the Pearl Harbor attack. Japan and Germany were short of oil. They still are. And uh, speaking of Germany, we can talk briefly about the elections here that occurred yesterday, um, all sorts of other Events uh, or, or events uh, involving celebrities. The Roman Polanski arrest in Zurich, Switzerland, uh, comes out of the order of the bizarre, to say the least. So um, don't get too excited about the American media's coverage of Iran. I think that it's fatuous to uh, believe for one second that the uh, Iranian government would fire missiles at Western Europe. They would only do so if uh, maybe there was an open invasion of Iran. And, of course, Iran, from their perspective, they see the Americans' uh, military setting up bases in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and other uh, former uh, areas of the Soviet Union. Uh, some of those uh, bases are still uh, being debated, their future status and all that stuff. But uh, Iran is caused a lot of problems in the region, and uh, one of the interesting aspects of all of the events that have occurred uh, this decade regarding Bush's uh, disastrous foreign policies in the region uh, relate to the fact that, in, in essence, the United States has strengthened Iran regionally because of its uh, invasion of Iraq and the role of Maqtada al-Sadr and uh, pro-Iranian elements within the uh, Shiite community uh, in Iraq. Um, and it's interesting, of course, that the Iranian government almost came to war with the Taliban uh, back in 1998 after a uh, diplomatic uh, attack uh, that occurred at Mozar al-Sharif, and uh, they, they nearly came to war. I don't think enough speculation has occurred in the American media, by the way, regarding the possibility that Iran was actually behind 9-11. More on that in a future show, but... Uh, a uh, terrorist named Umad Mugnia may have penetrated the bin Laden uh, intentions, may have pulled off a uh, an interesting double, uh, double uh, agent sort of attack, and Iran may have been behind 9-11. One wonders. That's speculation on my part, but we'll talk about that at some other time. Uh, German elections. Uh, these are very... Interesting. Uh, last night I heard the BBC that this was a, quote, very dull election in a very dull country. Uh, this, of course, is probably the uh, sort of uh, anti-German <laughs> uh, bias of the uh, BBC and the British people in general. always appreciated the uh, incredible spoofs on Monty Python regarding the Germans and the Nazis in general. Uh, dull election. Uh, Angela Merkel, of course, was... Nominally reelected, uh, she's in a uh, coalition government now with the Free Democrats. Uh, to think of these uh, German parties, uh, by the way, the, the uh, Christian Democratic uh, share of the vote actually went down uh, from the last elections. But the Social Democrats, uh, the sort of the uh, kind of American version of your moderate uh, blue dog Democrats, plunged uh, by 11.2 percent, and they only got 23 percent of the vote. 
However, the far left parties uh, in Germany went up. The Green Party went up by 2.6%. They got 10.7% of the vote. And the, quote, far left party, which consists mainly of uh, former communists uh, from Eastern Europe, uh, or Eastern, the former Eastern Germany, so to speak, got uh, almost 12% of the vote, and their total went up uh, 3.2%. So it's interesting that the far-left parties in Germany uh, got well over 20% of the vote uh, in uh, these parliamentary elections. And, of course, the big loser was the Social Democrats. Uh, they've basically abdicated their uh, foreign minister's position. This will be taken over by a Free Democrat. Now, the Free Democrats are kind of... Uh, they were being characterized as the big winners since their share of the vote total went up about 4.7%, and they got 14.6%, according to the New York Times. And if you wonder why these totals don't add up to 50 or to 100%, it's because uh, 6% of the voters in, uh, German, uh, in the German election got below 5%, and therefore no representation, so to speak, in Parliament. So I, I think we will have a more vigorous uh, debate in Germany regarding their future role in NATO. Uh, of course, the German people are, are increasingly becoming frustrated with their role in Afghanistan. And Merkel, uh, to borrow a phrase from the past, seems to be uh, pursuing a general policy of stay of the course. Um, it doesn't sound like she's going to capitulate to some of the more... Um, shall we say, um, ambitious desires by the Free Democrats to radically change the German economy. Germany has weathered the economic, uh, global economic catastrophe a little better than most nations. Their banks uh, don't seem to have been exposed quite as uh, um, extensively as uh, other uh, so-called G8 countries to the American mortgage crisis and the securitization problem that was created on Wall Street. And the German economy has uh, modified their um, layoff policies considerably. M most of the German uh, conglomerates, industrial companies, and of course Germany relies heavily on exports, but their exports are global in nature. They actually export more uh, uh, economic uh, merchandise, uh, goods and services than the United States, and they're a considerably smaller country. Uh, this is mainly because of their reputation for fine engineering, quality control, and uh, high-quality merchandise. And uh, though there has been an incredible slowdown in the global economy regarding world trade, the Germans have adjusted uh, their uh, economic uh, measuring sticks by reducing workers' hours more than outright layoffs. So their unemployment rate hasn't gone up quite as much, and the people in general have not suffered anywhere near as much. So Germany is going to be this kind of continuing um, kind of consensus of a controlled, quote, free market system uh, in which there's a generous... Uh, sort of social safety net regarding uh, health insurance and uh, unemployment benefits and worker retraining and that sort of thing combined with a uh, 
uh, sort of a cautious skepticism of Amer- uh, ambitious American uh, plans. It's, uh, I think, important to remember in Angela Merkel that you have kind of a, I like to kind of call her a church lady. She's, uh, you know, she knows how to bake the cookies, but she doesn't have this kind of aggressive right-wing theory about German power. Um, and is certainly in no way, shape, or form allied with the United States the way, say, Helmut Kohl was, who was probably the last prominent Christian Democrat uh, to run Germany for any extensive period of time. Um, She's been in a coalition, by the way, a coalition government in the past four years with the Social Democrats. So uh, she sort of operates as kind of a slightly right-of-center figure, um, and I think that there's... Can, will continue in, in, with respect to German policy to be a sort of skeptical caution uh, regarding, uh, for instance, a- escalating NATO's involvement in Afghanistan. It's quite clear that the in the United States, the uh, the, the, the polls are now showing that about 38 percent of the uh, American people want to get out of Af- Afghanistan completely. What I find interesting about this number, by the way, was that this represented at the time of the Iraq invasion about the same percentage of people that uh, didn't want to go into Iraq. And uh, we mentioned Iraq in the uh, context of this discussion as it relates to the uh, passing of William Sapphire. Uh, I had a lot of respect for William Sapphire as a sort of linguist. Uh, I enjoyed his column in the uh, Sunday uh, magazine section on language from time to time. And indeed, at times, he uh, his uh, sort of libertarian streak could uh, be something that I agreed with. He made an interesting comment once. He said, well, I'm a critic of the media, but not the press. Uh, he, of course, was a speechwriter for Richard Nixon, was frequently a Nixon apologist uh, over the years. And this, of course, is rather odd since um, history now reveals that Sapphire was one of the members of the Nixon administration that actually had his phone tapped, apparently on the orders of Henry Kissinger, uh, a German. Uh, But William Sapphire uh, came up, of course, with the infamous uh, euphemism, the nattering nabobs of negativity. Might have even been negativism. I think it was negativity. But anyway, Spiro Agnew used this bizarre... Uh, clause of alliteration, and I would argue that William Sapphire, unfortunately for much of his career, was a nattering nabob of stupidity. Uh, if you go back and you check the chronology of the uh, sort of right-wing public, uh, shall we say, advocacy of going into Iraq, it was William Sapphire back in uh, late November, early December, of uh, 2001, right as it appeared that the Afghanistan conflict was going our way, uh, probably a premature verdict uh, in some sense, and of course Osama bin Laden made his infamous escape out of the Tora Bora region in uh, mid-December of 2001. Uh, I continue to believe that this was a sort of deliberate foul-up at some level Uh, The Bush administration wanted bin Laden to be at large uh, so that they could use him as a whipping boy in their uh, 2002 
congressional elections, their global war on terror, their eventual invasion of Iraq, and of course, uh, conveniently, he was used as a prop in the 2004 election. Uh, whilst conspiracy uh, theories abound on the uh, escape of bin Laden from the Tora Bora region, the United States government's official position is it was always, quote, Afghan members of the uh, so-called Northern Alliance that let bin Laden through uh, the Tora Bora Mountains. But uh, I have my doubts. I think that bin Laden uh, was probably let go uh, by the Americans on orders from high up. Don't kill bin Laden just yet. It's a little too early. We have other plans. And, of course, William Sapphire had other advocacies. He, of course, uh, made this phony linkage uh, of uh, Saddam Hussein to bin Laden that was used by the neoconservatives prominently in their various public relations campaign to start the Iraq War. And we now know that uh, both the Iraq War and the Afghanistan War have not turned out uh, quite as well as the neoconservatives led the American public to believe uh, over these many years. By the way, there has, of course, been a lot of discussion about Afghanistan in recent uh, days because of this uh, leaked 66-page uh, proposal by uh, General McChrystal, I believe that's his name, and I went back to check the actual sort of escalation of uh, deaths from uh, IEDs and how the Afghanistan conflict began to unravel. And while it's uh, maybe fashionable in some uh, revisionist historical uh, quarters to blame these problems on, uh, on Barack Obama, it's quite clear that the problems in Afghanistan were beginning to mount as early as 2005. Barack Obama, of course, painted himself into a corner during the uh, latest presidential campaign here in the United States by sort of publicly advocating, um, escalating uh, the conflict in Afghanistan. And we're being told on the front pages of the New York Times this past week uh, of the uh, internal debate that's now beginning to occur within the uh, Obama White House regarding uh, the new strategy. Uh, hence, uh, we will see probably various leaked uh, uh, information stories about who's behind what, who advocates what. But uh, it seems that uh, it's uh, Joe Biden, of all people, who is uh, sort of cautiously advocating no actual uh, troop increase, but more of a uh, nation-building strategy is sort of the general uh, way they're characterizing this, uh, his, his way of thinking regarding an outright escalation of uh, troop numbers and whatnot. So we will actually see what happens. General McChrystal, of course, is publicly advocating um, troop increases um, and uh, a slight change in the counterinsurgency strategy talked about this very briefly last week because uh, I recently finished a, uh, a book by uh, Thomas Ricks, the uh, Pentagon uh, correspondent for the Washington Post. His most recent book, The Gamble, goes into the uh, so-called success of the uh, Petraeus strategy in Iraq regarding um, 
the basic this decision that the uh, it's more important to protect the population to put this in very simple terms to project uh, protect the population rather than um, going after the terrorists so that population protection is how you gain the hearts and minds of the people and that this strategy has worked to some extent in Iraq now I think that the Iraq success has other explanations for uh, for its success, uh, including uh, the fact that Muqtada al-Sadr is, is sort of in a wait-and-hold uh, uh, strategy himself regarding uh, his uh, desires for more power in the within the uh, Iraqi uh, government. And, of course, the Kurds in recent uh, months and weeks are... Uh, continuing to advocate outright partition or, um, you know, autonomous uh, control of their region. Sapphire, by the way, was a big advocate of the uh, support the Kurds policy that the Nixon administration pursued in the uh, mid-1970s. Uh, and as we uh, have learned from the historical record, the... Um, public advocacy of this policy by Kissinger and Nixon was uh, later betrayed by a uh, deal with Saddam Hussein, of all people, that sort of betrayed the Kurds. And this is why the Kurds uh, have uh, probably properly expressed quite a bit of uh, skepticism and, re and reluctance to uh, actually uh, going along with, uh, you know, sort of with no questions asked about any American uh, greater policy. Uh, we seem to be running out of time a little bit. I wanted to briefly comment on this bizarre arrest of Roman Polanski uh, in Zurich, Switzerland. He was in uh, Switzerland here, and I just want to give a brain damage award out to uh, American officials that seem to be involved with this. Uh, this in no way, shape, or form indicates that I exonerate or condone Polanski's behavior in the 70s and what she's still wanted for this uh, statutory rape charge uh, at Jack Nicholson's home of all places um, because he basically fled the American country because he was uh, concerned about the sort of murky uh, plea agreement that was uh, supposedly going to occur in this case a troubling case, uh, to say the least. But Polanski's, uh, and this is not because I think he's a great director. I think that some of his uh, his great, his best known films, like Chinatown and The Pianist, um, are masterpieces. Uh, he has some sort of a lesser uh, quality of uh, movies, like uh, Rosemary's Baby, uh, Tess of the D'Urbervilles that I think he might have just called Tess. And a very interesting rendition, by the way, of Macbeth. Polanski, of course, was married to Sharon Tate. Sharon Tate was brutally murdered uh, while eight months uh, pregnant with uh, Polanski's uh, child by Charles Manson. And if you uh, ever get a chance to see Polanski's version of Macbeth you will uh, get an appreciation for Polanski's sort of uh, bizarre 
sort of intellectual affinity and fascination with blood and murder and that sort of thing. Um, Polanski also fled the Holocaust, um, an actual living witness that the Holocaust did, did occur. Apparently his father uh, told him to run away literally as the uh, Warsaw Ghetto was being closed down and uh, organized mass murder was occurring. Polanski apparently sort of went from uh, village to village uh, in Poland to survive throughout the war and eventually studied film and became the director that he is. But for the American government to sort of arrest him while he's be being given an, an award at a Zurich Film International Film Festival strikes me as a little bit of dirty pool and shows exactly why, you know, this almost seems like a almost a sabotage operation from within. Uh, I don't know who's behind this idea, but it's interesting. The G20 summit that just occurred out of Pittsburgh was actually praised by a lot of mainstream people in the media regarding its, its overall success, that there was a general cooperation, that there would be um, more uh, power diffused to some of the uh, developing countries like Brazil and India and China. Uh, less uh, power to the G8, so to speak. And uh, it was viewed as a success regarding some other cooperation issues regarding nuclear proliferation, uh, global warming, et cetera, et cetera. Obama seems to have done a stellar job. So here we have this kind of highly publicized incident that makes America look bad uh, globally. Uh, and th there is something fishy about the whole thing. Hopefully that the Polanski uh, incident, the event, the whole disaster, public relations disaster that's occurred as a result of this can be worked out. Just to let you know, I apologize for uh, sort of battling a cold here. And um, you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. I wanted to thank uh, Andrew for engineering once again this evening. Very finally, uh, congratulations to the Lions winning. Uh, today seems to mark the end of the uh, summer as we know it. We're getting a little dose of some real fall temperatures. But I wanted to uh, report uh, from the uh, NOAA Climate Data Center that ocean temperatures this year have uh, recorded their highest levels on record. Uh, as of July, uh, they were the highest uh, temperatures ever recorded by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. This from Cordelia Dean dated the 15th of August. The agency said that the average sea temperature was 1.06 degrees higher than the 20th century average of 61.5 degrees, though July was unusually cold in some areas like eastern United States. Analysts at the NOAA Climate Data Center said the combined global and land ocean surface temperatures were 1.03 degrees higher than the 20th century average of 60.4 degrees, the fifth warmest since worldwide uh, record has been uh, kept since 1980. The agency said that on average Arctic sea ice covered 3.4 square million uh, miles in July, 12.7 percent below the 1979-2000 average, and the third lowest on record after 2007 and 2006. Global warming, climate change are continuing to occur, and we on Gray Matters will rebut the, the naysayers 
the nabobs, the nattering nabobs of uh, stupidity. Well, thanks to Andrew for engineering. We are out of time down here on Gray Matters. Do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next right here on this fine station.